0: Well, with it being Christmas time, I want to kick us off with a little bit of a uh, Christmas pop quiz. It should be a pretty easy one. Uh, I want to ask the first question, what does the word Advent mean? We talk about this time of year being the Advent season. Anybody know what the word Advent means? Anybody going to be bold or brave enough to take a guess at that? No, I'll tell you. It means arrival. It means coming. Yeah, so the word Advent, When we talk about uh, this being the Advent season. It's a season of remembering a arrival or a coming. Next pop quiz question. This one's a little easier. Whose arrival do we celebrate this time of year? Jesus. Jesus. All right, good. So you're, you're, you're scoring 50% thus far in the, in the test. Final question. Where would you turn in your Bible to learn about the arrival of Jesus Christ and His first coming? Anyone? And, uh, the, no, not Isaiah. Uh, the, the, the gospels, right? Like. You bunch of cheaters. Yeah, the Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John has a unique way of coming coming at it, right? That's where you would normally go uh, if you were to read about the coming of Jesus Christ, because those passages record the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we we would normally go, but you're right. Today, we are going to turn and open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, all right? So I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah And you're going to say, why are we going to the book of Isaiah if Matthew and Mark and Luke's accounts talk to us about Jesus and his coming? Well, here's why we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. The reason we're going to go to the book of Isaiah is because although this book was written some 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the book of Isaiah contains numerous prophecies— that foretold of the birth of Jesus Christ or foretold about events in the life of of Jesus Christ. So we're going to mix things up this Christmas season. We're going to look at Christmas according to Isaiah. And as we study the book of Isaiah, as we look at these prophecies that foretell the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, that predict his life and the events of his life or or what his life will ultimately uh, produce, By going to these passages, one, we're going to learn. I wholeheartedly believe today the majority of us will hear things from the Word of God and learn things from the Word of God that we've probably not heard before. But second, as we come to understand these prophecies in the context in which they were first given, we will grow in a fuller understanding of Christ and the work that he came to do. Because here at Valley Center Community Church, we believe that we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are really a follower for him, one of the things that we're committed to is to grow in our knowledge and application of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of our time here on Sunday mornings is to learn. It is to be intentional about growth. And the way that we learn and grow is by coming to this word. So I always ask the question, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? Well, good, because that's what we're going to do. All right, Isaiah. Where are we going to go in Isaiah? Chapter 7 chapter 7. As you make your way there, let me give you just a little bit of a a background on this book. The book of Isaiah was written by none other than Isaiah, (gasps) Isaiah, right? Don't have to guess at it. The book carries the title of his name, and we know the book was written by Isaiah because in the first chapter, we learn a whole bunch about Isaiah. Um, We learn that he was the son of Amos and Verse 1 tells us that he served as a prophet of God in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah was a man called by God to serve as a prophet. That is a mouthpiece for God to the people of God, specifically to the kingdom of Judah. Because when Isaiah was prophesying, he was prophesying in a time when God's people were divided, You had the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And so here's Isaiah called to specifically prophesy to the kingdom of Judah. And we know from events that he records in the book that his ministry lasted from like 740 B.C., as you see there on the screen, to about 681 B.C. You can see in chapter one that he prophesied during Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah's reign. So so he had quite a long ministry. And predominantly, what Isaiah did during his life was that he called the people of God to do something that was so simple, yet so profoundly difficult at times trust in God, follow his word. He will provide for you. Don't turn to others. That was the message that Isaiah gave over and over and over again. And so that's some of the background that I want you to know. Isaiah prophesying to the kingdom of Judah, starting in 740. And when we come to chapter 7, we hear that he has been called to give a prophecy to King Ahaz in particular. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1, all right? So let's look at... Chapter 7, verse 1. It says In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David, that is, Ahaz's line, Ahaz was a direct descendant from David. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Here's what's happening, church. At this time and place in Israel's history, as the kingdom is divided, there is a nation, Assyria, and it's off to the northeast and it's gaining power. And as it's gaining power in the northern kingdom of Israel, we have here Rezin and Pekah, these two kings, the kings of Syria and the king of Israel, seeing the coming Assyrian forces, and they join together and they make an alliance. And they realize that they would be much stronger if Judah joins with them, of which Ahaz is the king, if Judah joins with them and fights the Assyrians. Now, Ahaz is early in his reign. This is like the first days of him taking over the throne. So the guy's got a lot of pressure on him. And he, and he hears that Israel and Syria have joined together and they want to fight against the Assyrians and they want Judah to, do it, to fight with them. And if Judah won't fight with them, that's what we're reading about is, is that Israel and Assyria say, or Israel and Syria say, Judah, we're gonna take you over. We're gonna come against Ahaz. We're gonna come against his house if you won't join up with us. And so Ahaz has got a lot of pressure on him. Is, should he defend his kingdom? Should he join up with them? Is Israel going to take over, over Judah? And so he's worried. He feels like he's in a place of weakness. And so that's what's happening. And then verse 3, let's look at what happens next in the text. In light of all this, it says, and the Lord sent Isaiah. I, the Lord said to Isaiah, he said, go to meet Ahaz, you and Shiraz Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So God says to Ahaz, I want you to go, and I want you, or to Isaiah, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to Ahaz. And here's what I want you to say to him, verse 4. Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabal as king in the midst of it. So he goes to Isaiah Isaiah then comes and speaks to Ahaz and says, don't be afraid of this alliance that seems to be coming against you. Verse 7 says why. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. They shall not conquer you, is what God is saying. For the head of Syria <clears throat> is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Resin. And within 65 years of Ephraim, we'll be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. What's happening here, church? God is coming to Ahaz, and he's saying, from your vantage point, it looks like bad days are ahead. It looks like you're about to be conquered, but do not fear. I've already determined that these two kingdoms will not stand. The gist of the Lord's message through Isaiah to Ahaz is that God will be with Ahaz, and that will be enough for him. So simple, so straightforward. What a word of comfort, wouldn't it be? For God to speak to you and to say with what you feel like you're about to experience, you're not going to experience. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go and fight for you. And then God does something, church, that I just find absolutely remarkable. In verse 10, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Verse 11, this is God speaking. He says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol Or as high as heaven. This is so remarkable, church. Here's why this is so remarkable. Here's why this statement by God is so extraordinary. Normally, when you read the Bible, asking for a sign from God is considered a lack of faith. When people go and they ask for a sign, of God, it's typically that they're demonstrating a lack of faith in Him. But in this scenario, it is God who's actually commanding Ahaz to ask for a sign. Do you see the difference? It's not Ahaz coming to God and saying, I'll do these things if you give me a sign. It's God saying, Listen, I see the trouble you're in. I see the difficulty you're experiencing. Your faith is weak, so let me help you with that. Two quick things to point out here. God wanted Ahaz to trust in his word. That's what's happening here. God wanted Ahaz to trust in his word. And so God is looking to give him a sign to help him to trust in his word. He's saying, I want you to be firm in the faith, Ahaz. And so I want to show you what I can do so that you can trust in me. And that sign can be whatever you want it to be. As I was studying this week, this was a moment where I just stopped in my own heart and mind, and I thought to myself, this is just one more example of so many throughout the scriptures where we see the character of God towards us on display. It's one more example of God being so gracious and so kind to undeserving people. I mean, should the God of the universe have to stoop so low To help Ahaz's faith in light of all that God had already done for Israel. Like, should Ahaz really need one more sign from God to be able to trust him when God had time and again shown his power and his might to the people of God? Like, should God have to do that? What's the answer? No. But what does God do? without him even asking, God is showing this is the love, the compassion that he has for his people, that he preemptively comes to him and says, I know you're going to struggle with this, so ask of a sign from me. Church, I just see how very kind and gracious our God is, and if we're really honest, does he only function like in the Old Testament like that? Or can we not, as the people of God today, if we are in Jesus Christ, consider our lives and look at times in which God has gone above and beyond for us, times where we have prayed and God has answered those prayers. Maybe it wasn't in the immediate moment, but he's answered those prayers. And can you think of something in your life that you really prayed for and asked for, and then you got it and you were excited, and then how quickly after that do we often forget? I would venture to say that if we stopped and we looked at our lives, we would have just a list of the ways that God has shown himself so faithful to us. And yet one of the things that I think all people this side of heaven still struggle with is, guess what? Believing that he's faithful. He's faithful. And so you should, you should hear this part of the story and you should stop and say, wow, what kind of a God is a God who to undeserving people is still willing to stoop so low that he's willing to help strengthen their faith when he's already shown himself faithful enough? It's kind of like, I've used this illustration in the past, the first time you take your child swimming, at least maybe when they're a toddler, and you invite them to jump into the water to you, right? Right? We've had those moments, I've talked about this, and your child comes to the water, and you're like, come, jump in. And they give you that look like you're going to kill them, like you're not going to catch them if they jump in the water. And as a parent, you sit there in the water, and you're like, don't I have a track record? Maybe you don't, but I know I did, at least, with my kids. And I'm like, I would not do that, which I want to help you. That's what God's doing with Ahaz, God wanted Ahaz to trust in his word. But there's a second thing that's happening here. You see, church, if Ahaz asked for a sign, it would have displayed his trust in God. That's the other aspect of what's happening here. God wants to help him, but God is also saying, if you ask for a sign, it's on at least on Ahaz's part, it's him saying, Look at God, I actually do trust you. It would have been a display of. See, all God is asking of Ahaz is just ask me for a sign. Don't create the sign, Ahaz, that's on me. I'm just saying, whatever you want to ask, so that you can trust me, just ask of me that sign. Literally, all he had to do was to say, you know, make it rain tomorrow. Whatever it was, God says, I'm going to do it for you. And if, if Ahaz would have asked, it would have shown to God and even to Ahaz that he was trusting in him. And so how does Ahaz respond? Very interesting. Look at verse 12. (laughs) It starts with a word that you never want to start with when God asks you to do something. But. (laughs) Verse 12 says, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, how pious. How holy. Good for you. Well, rather than ask God for a sign... Ahaz tells God that he will not do it. What won't he do? You see, on the face of it, it would seem that Ahaz here, he is being pious, he's being holy. He even quotes scripture. Did you know that? He literally quotes scripture back to God. That's always a good thing. He says, I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test, but church, let's take another pop quiz this morning. When God asks you to do something, What should be your response? Yes, Yes, right? You do it. This is not a trick question. You see, God told Ahaz, ask of me a sign. That wasn't God making a suggestion to Ahaz. It was actually a command of God to Ahaz. Ask me to give you a sign. Ahaz here is not being pious. He sure isn't being holy. When he says he will not ask God for a sign, Ahaz is flat out being disobedient and displaying that he is failing to trust in the word of God. God was genuine in his offer when he told Ahaz to ask for a sign. And by not asking God for a sign, Ahaz was actually revealing his lack of faith. By not asking for a sign, Ahaz displayed to God, to us, to everyone who has read this passage that he did not trust in God. Are you following me? This is what's happening here. God being gracious, wanting to help. Ahaz saying, I'm not going to trust in you. I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. So we see this is what is happening But most of you might be thinking right now, Dave, what, if anything, does any of this have to do with the Christmas season? What's going on here? Well, we finally come to it. Look at how God responds to Ahaz. And God said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? third pop quiz. Do you want to be someone who has wearied God? (laughs) What's the answer? No. Is that ever a good thing? No. Just a note to self. Don't do it. And so we can pretty much assume that whatever God says next here through Isaiah, it's probably not going to be a bed of roses. Verse 14 says, therefore, The Lord himself will give you a sign. I asked you to ask me to give you a sign, since you wouldn't give me an answer to that, because you wouldn't ask me for a sign. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And not only will this sign have a different meaning for you, Ahaz, than the one I was going to give to you, it will also contain a message for more people than just you. And so what is the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. There it is. (laughs) There it is. Does this verse sound familiar? This is a verse that we always hear quoted this time of year about the birth of Jesus. The virgin birth of Jesus. But this verse, Prophecy, this sign about the birth of a child to a virgin, was some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And when this prophecy was first given, it was given to enforce a message that God had for a specific person and a specific people. The sign of the virgin birth, the sign of a child who would be called Emmanuel, in that time, in that place, had a message for Ahaz and a message for the people living in that day. It was not purely a prophecy only about the birth of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? The words, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, carried a very specific message to people some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, here's where we're going to learn something really quick this morning, church. And that is often when you read the Bible, you will come across prophecies that are quoted in the New Testament. But more often than not, the prophecies that we hear quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament, as we are learning right now, had a meaning and a message to the people who first heard it, as well as a meaning and a message for a future day. There's both a near and a far meaning And so this story, the story of Ahaz, the story of Emmanuel, that sign, that message, it meant something in that day, and it meant something to Ahaz. And what I want to show us now is that when we understand what it meant to Ahaz and what it ultimately meant to the people of God, it will better help us understand how we understand the birth of Jesus Christ. So what does the message mean? Verse 15 starts to tell us. It says of this child, Emmanuel, that he will be born and he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This is the first message of the sign. Emmanuel, when this child is born, before the child even reaches the age of adolescence, that's that whole thing about them being able to choose before he can choose good and refuse uh, evil. This child, before he reaches that age, look what's going to happen. Ahaz, those two kingdoms, those two kings that you dread, I will wipe them out. They will not be a problem for you. And so here's the first message of the sign. The sign of Emmanuel originally meant that God would deliver his people from their enemies. That's what the sign originally meant in that context. God was talking to Isaiah and saying, Isaiah, this child will be born when this child is is born before he even grows to adolescence. In just a few short years, Israel won't be a problem for you. Syria won't be a problem for you. I will deliver you from them. That sounds like some pretty comforting news, doesn't it? That sounds like some pretty comforting news. Well, if you read the text closely, there's a hint that while this spelled good news for the people of Judah, it did not spell some good news for Ahaz. You see, in the Hebrew, when it says that I will give you a sign, that's you in the plural. Previously, God said to Ahaz, Ahaz, I want you to ask me of a sign, singular. Now he says, I'm going to give you a sign. So this is a sign for a larger group of people now than just Ahaz. And you would say, well, shouldn't this be good news for Ahaz? Isn't Ahaz part of the people of Judah? Yes, it would seem like that would be good news for Ahaz until you read verse 17. The birth of the child, the sign of the child has a meaning for him as well. The Lord will bring upon you, Ahaz, and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Do you know what's being communicated right here? God has just spoken to Ahaz and he said, your family, your line is going to come under my judgment. This is the second message That is communicated through the sign of Emmanuel. The sign of Emmanuel originally meant that Ahaz and his family would be judged for failing to obey God's word. Yes, Ahaz, I'm going to take care of my people. I'll deliver them from Israel and Syria. But for you, Ahaz, for your family, you're going to be judged by me because you failed to trust and obey my word. In Ahaz's case, Emmanuel was not a blessing church, but a sign of God's judgment. In the overall context, here's what I want you to see and to understand. There was a message for the people of God as a whole, but the sign of Emmanuel also carried a message for Ahaz and his family one of blessing, one of judgment. Now, before I go any further, I got to answer the question that's on many of your minds. If this is the first time that you're really understanding, this is what this text means. I thought that there was only one Emmanuel child. I thought Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment, that Jesus was the one born of a virgin, that Jesus was the one who's being prophesied here. And I would say, yes, that's right. But what's also correct was that in that time and in that place, For Ahaz, a child was going to be born in the context, it says, of a virgin. And that type of a birth and that child would be a sign of these two things to him. And so you're all then wondering, well, who was Emmanuel? Who was the child back then? Was he actually born of a virgin like Jesus was born of a virgin? You want to know what the answer the text gives? Here it is. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. The text doesn't fill us in on who that child eventually was. Theologians have have tried to look at clues within the text, and arguments can be made. I'm not going to waste time to look at what that is. All that we need to know is that God said he would give Ahaz the sign of a child who would be called Emmanuel, and here's what the sign of the child would mean. Does that satisfy your curiosity? If it doesn't, tough. All right, you can look at it yourself. (laughs) Because that's not the point. The point isn't for Ahaz, who exactly was that child. The point was, Ahaz, do you hear me? Do you know what I'm saying? The sign of Emmanuel in Ahaz's day served as both a sign of blessing and a sign of judgment. God said to Ahaz, ask of me and I will give you a sign. I'll give you a sign so that you can know that I your God am with you. Ahaz doesn't do it. And so God says, all right, you failed as a leader. That doesn't mean I'm going to forsake my people. And so I'm going to send the sign of a child, Emmanuel, which means God with us. But what Emmanuel God with us means is that for some, God will be with them as he delivers them from their enemies. But God with us sometimes isn't always good news. God with us meant, Ahaz, God is with you. And what I mean by that is God is with you that he knows you. God with you means that he's not unaware of everything that you have done. God with us means for you, Ahaz, that God has seen your disobedience, and the presence of God in your life is going to be a sign of judgment Because for those who do not trust in the Lord, this is the message of the Scriptures. The presence of God for those who do not trust in Him and in His Word is never a good thing. Pastor Tony started with it by telling the children, in the Garden of Eden, God walked with his people in the cool of the evening. The moment that Adam and Eve failed to trust and obey the word of God, the presence of God was no longer a thing to be coveted. It was a thing to be feared. And so for Ahaz, God is saying, Emmanuel, God with you, is not a sign of comfort. It's a sign that you will be judged and your family will be judged because you did not trust in me. God with us to deliver, yes, but God with us to judge. You and I already know that the presence of someone can serve both of those things in our lives. My girls were little. There were those times where they were doing something, and they were very proud of it, and they wanted to show off And so they would call Hannah and I, and they'd say, Mom, Dad, come look at this. Come look at me. Look at me. Have you ever heard a kid say that? Look at me. Look at me. We have a a niece. Um, I have many nieces, but one niece in particular. And (laughs) she, at times, just will command a room. And not like in a totally selfish way, but she'll be like, look at me. You know, and everyone, okay, we're looking. We're looking, and she'll do something, right? And then she'll have a big smile on her face. And so there's times when children, they, they love our presence and they want us to look at them. Uh, this past week when Cece wasn't feeling well, we had her and she slept in our room and she wanted to be there, right? Because she wanted to be in our presence. But have you ever caught your kids doing something that you knew they shouldn't be doing? <laughs> and then they realize that you're there and what do they say? Go away! <laughs> Go away! Whoa, well, whoa, well, which one is it, right? You want me with you, you don't want me with you. God's presence for one group of people was a comfort. It was a blessing. It was a sign of deliverance. For Ahaz, it was a sign of judgment. So church, Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That sign originally served as a sign of blessing and of judgment. When you understand that, It helps us to better understand an aspect of the prophecy's fulfillment in Jesus Christ that we often miss. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. When you turn to Matthew chapter 1, we read these words. The angel speaks to Joseph and tells Joseph, your soon-to-be wife, who you've never had sex with, is pregnant. That doesn't sound like good news until he says in verse 20, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this now, now the angel's not talking anymore. Matthew now is talking giving commentary on what's happened. Now Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, as we come to Matthew's gospel, in light of what we have seen in Isaiah 7, we are right to look at this and say, Oh yes, the birth of Jesus, it rightly fulfilled the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. We can focus on that. We can also focus, and rightly so, on the fact that Jesus was God, actual God in the flesh. But we must also look at this and say, the birth of Jesus Christ means by him being Emmanuel, by him being the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, this verse means that God's blessing and God's judgment are on full display in Jesus Christ. We like to look at the birth of Jesus and to say, God is with us in Jesus. God becomes flesh and he's here with us and that is a good thing. But if you divorce that statement from what the text originally tells us and what we know to be true of Jesus if you divorce those two things you fail to see the fullness of the message of the gospel you see right before he says that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah the angel says to Joseph you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people what from their sins Every single person on the face of the earth needs to be saved from their sins. And that is what Jesus came to do. But think logically with me for one moment. If you are not saved from your sins through Jesus Christ, what happens? What happens? It says that Jesus came to save, oh, wait a second, his people. The implication is that there are some people who are not what? His people. Do you know who the people who are not his? They're the people who have not been saved. The people who have not been saved are the people who experience the righteous judgment of God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene as the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus come as a blessing for some because Jesus comes to save us from our sins. Hallelujah and amen for that, right? But if you are not saved by him, he comes as a sign of God's judgment as well because If you are not in Jesus, you are in your sin and you are under the judgment and wrath of God. Are you following me? It's not as though Jesus rolls up on the scene and God in the flesh comes and says, it's all good. No, there are still people who are in their sins who need to be delivered from it. People who are not his people. Jesus is coming. Yes, it's a sign of God's blessing. But don't make the mistake and think that there is still judgment that exists because it does. You see, what we know from the fullness of the life of Jesus is that the good news that Jesus has come to save is only experienced by those who put their trust in the word of God. You see, Ahaz, in the book of Isaiah, shows us how we are to respond to the sign of Emmanuel. Did you know that? See, Ahaz comes under the judgment of God because he failed to trust in God's word. If you want to know salvation from your sins, if you want to know God with you as blessing and not as judgment, Ahaz shows you the way through his failure. You see, the same way that we experience God's blessing is by not doing what Ahaz did, by trusting in the word of God, by trusting in the promise offered through Jesus Christ. This is where salvation is found. Paul said to the church in Galatia, he said, but when the fullness of time had come, this is Galatians chapter four, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How do we know God with us is a blessing? Whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be what? Saved. God said to Ahaz, Ahaz, I want you to know that I am with you and that you can trust me. Ask of me literally any sign and I will do it. Ahaz fails by not trusting in God. And then God sends forth a sign, a sign that makes it evident to Ahaz that he can do what he says he will do. Ahaz had the sign in his day. I want to ask one very simple question in closing. Is there any greater sign that God could give you to show you, to show us that he has a never-ending love for us? That he cares for you, that he will be with you and never forsake you, than the sign of him coming in the flesh as a human being to die on the cross for your sins. Is there any greater sign than we that we need? If you're looking for a greater sign, I'm telling you, you will find yourself on the day of judgment in the same place as Ahaz. And God will say to you, I gave you a sign. It was my son, Jesus Christ. So have you trusted in him? Have you given yourself over to the word of God, which says, I have provided a redeemer and savior? Have you done that? If you're visiting with us this morning and you haven't done that, that baby in a manger, Emmanuel, God with us, you can't just take him as a baby in a manger He is a sign from God of both blessing and the judgment that exists on humanity. Accept him as the offer, as the free gift of God, and blessing is yours. Reject him, and know that there is no other gift, no other sign that God can give to draw you to himself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. But for my church family, who now maybe has a better understanding of the prophecy, I pray that we'd have a better understanding of what more on a given day do we need to trust in our God, to come to Him, to know that He is with us in our highs and the lows in a week like this past week that I had, in a week like I just had that you're probably going to have, than to know that we have an Emmanuel God with us, a sign of God's forever blessing for His people. Oh, man, may we never stop looking to trust in him. He's given all that we need as we look to Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you, our ability to come, even right now, even to call upon your name, is because through Christ, we acknowledge a path to you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus for us, Father, is not a sign of judgment any longer, but it is a sign of your presence in our lives, and that presence is so good. Thank you that you have provided in Christ a Savior for our souls, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, help us to walk as a people who will not fear. Help us to trust in you in those times that might be hard, because the sign of Emmanuel, God with us, rings in our ears. And Father, even now as we come to the Lord's table, as we bring to mind again this gift, this reality of God in the flesh, O Lord, may we take it deep into our hearts and comfort ourselves and comfort others with this truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.